Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. A dram of whiskey is one of life's little pleasures, but have you ever wondered how many units of alcohol are actually in your glass? Well, one measure of scotch contains one unit of alcohol. Holyrood Sources is proud to be brought to you by the Scotch Whiskey Association's Made to Be Measured campaign to help us all understand how much alcohol we're really drinking. Find out more at scotch-whiskey.org.uk forward slash made to be measured. The podcast starts now. If the Scottish Government and the Lord Advocate decide to proceed with a pilot on uh, DCRs, drugs consumption rooms, the UK Government will not intervene. Hello and welcome to Holyrood Sources. We're recording on Wednesday the 13th of September. I'm Callum MacDonald and here to make the podcast what it actually is are Jeff Aberdeen, who was Chief of Staff to Alex Salmond when he was First Minister. Hello, Jeff. Good afternoon. And alongside Jeff, Andy McKeever, who was Director of Communications for the Scottish Conservatives. Hello, Andy. Hello, hello. Good afternoon. Uh, Welcome back, Jeff. We're very glad to have you. We actually had at least one tweet saying that you were missed last week. Yeah, and uh, and it cost me about 50 quid. Um, if I may say, um, and I think it's only fair to do so, and right to do so, actually, um, I was off last week because my wee one uh, was receiving some minor surgery in Glasgow at the Queen Elizabeth University Hospital. I would like to pay tribute to all of the, the staff there who are outstanding in their care for Lucas. And um, it was quite a stressful week. And I think it's only fair to say to the NHS who get a lot of stick um, in terms of the politics, but we should remember that there's lots of very good people working within the institution and doing a great job. So thank you very, very much indeed. Here, here. Well said. Uh, and great to have you back. Lucas, every, everything okay? You guys, you're back at home and all, all good. Oh, he's back. He's back with a, a vengeance. Um, we thought that they might have dulled him a little bit, but no, 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 no. He's he's keeping us awake. Good, 
Good. That's what we like to hear. Uh, right, good. Just before we crack on with the podcast, then I want to encourage you actually to send in any questions you might have for Jeff and for Andy on anything and everything. Um, just uh, send them in. Hello at hollywoodsources.com is the email address. And then when we've got a few, we'll take some time on an episode and put your questions to Jeff and Andy. We did this a little while ago. And it went down really well, actually. Uh, what is it that you would really like to ask them? Do you want to pick up on something they've said recently? Or do you want to introduce something new for them to consider? Uh, email hello at hollywoodsources.com. And then the other bit of housekeeping is that next week, in addition to our usual Wednesday episode, we will have some special episodes floating around next week for you, nine years after the independence referendum was held. So now is a good time to follow the podcast for free, or you can subscribe for £4.99 a month if you want to listen without ads, and you'll get our special episodes dropping into your feed as they are published next week. Uh, right, let's welcome this week's guest to the podcast then. We are pleased to say that Michelle Thompson joins us, SNP MSP for the Falkirk East constituency since 2021. Michelle, hello. Hello there. Hi, nice to speak to you. It's great to have you on, Michelle. Thanks very much. Thanks for taking the time. I should say, actually, that I bumped into you last week at the uh, the Holyrood Garden Party. I'm one of them now. Thank you very much. Uh, where you won the Political Hero of the Year Award. So congratulations for that. That's a moment. Uh, well, yeah, it was. And as I said in my uh, thank you speech, I... I've never actually won an award, never mind a political one. So I was pretty chuffed, actually. Yeah, it was a good night, actually. It was very if you think night. you've never been, if you, if, if you think you've never won anything in politics, you want to try and be one of my people. You want to try and be a, a, a Scottish Tory in the 2002 parliamentary intake. That's, that's Maybe they should have awards anything. like the kind of smiliest MSP in the playground or something like that, just yeah. for the... I, I, I used to kind of go for the, like, you know, sort of tries hard awards. Yeah. That, that was my, that was my level. Yeah. Good. Uh, well, Michelle, it's great to have you here. Uh, lovely to have you here, in fact. Uh, right, actually... Actually, let's just let's dive into some of the issues of the moment, shall we? Uh, one thing that I really want to focus on uh, to begin with is this. Um, well, first of all, the intervention from the Lord Advocate this week on safe consumption rooms for drugs, for taking drugs. Uh, the idea here, of course, is that you can go to one of these facilities where it will be safe for you to use drugs. You'll be supervised by, or safer for you to use drugs. Uh, you'll be supervised by medical staff, medical professionals. So in the event of an overdose, uh, you can be looked after. The equipment is clean, it is hygienic, it's free from infection, etc. So it makes drug taking safer. Now, this feels like a real turning point in what has been a, a bit of a political football back and forth between Holyrood and Westminster when it comes to dealing with Scotland's drug deaths crisis. Um, I presume you welcome this intervention from the Lord Advocate, but I would also ask, why did it take so long, do you think? Well, I, I mean, I absolutely welcome it. Uh, drugs are a scourge in our modern day society. And for too long, I think, regardless of political parties or indeed states, people have said, well, this is a terrible thing, tried to criminalise it, and it's had absolutely no impact whatsoever. And they've continued to have a huge effect on people's lives and their families and their friends and so on. So I do agree I think it is a turning point. And not only do I welcome the Lord Advocate statement, I also welcome the clarification from Alistair Jack that he wouldn't stand in the way. So I'm very heartened to see that people have actually started to change the narrative on this because the opportunity of these consumption rooms is not just the safe taking of drugs, but also 
the uh, chance for them to be treated with dignity and respect and to be um, it opens the channels of communication because for every addict of any sort, there is often an, an underpinning issues in their lives that they need help and support. So it can often actually mark that first step. I suppose in terms of your direct challenge, why is it taken so long? Look, let's bear in mind that this is the Lord Advocate who makes this decision. The Lord Advocate makes a decision on her as a top legal brain interpretation of the law. Now, one can argue that that is at odds with the previous Lord Advocate who took a different view, but that is the nature of different legal opinion. That's why legal opinion is tested in a multitude of cases to form precedent. I am simply glad that we are in this position and I hope it marks the start of a turning point in how we deal with an issue that affects us all, affects so many uh, families and people in Scotland. Mm. Does it signal any sort of change in attitude from the Scottish government as far as you are concerned? Because as I say, it has been something that has gone back and forth from Edinburgh to London countless times. You know, we want to do this. You're not letting us. As you say, Scottish Secretary Alistair Jack uh, reinforcing today that the, the UK government's not going to stand in the way, actually, of the of the pilot project in Glasgow. And so is that it? Does that take the sting out of this as a as a divisive issue between the two parliaments? I certainly hope so. And what I think will be interesting to see is how the political parties position themselves, because that will actually be, will set them out. You know, so the Tories obviously have taken a very kind of traditional, in my opinion, uh, old fashioned view of, you know, damn them, they're criminals and so on, which we know just isn't really helpful. And I'm hoping that the attitude and statement from Alistair Jack helps them reposition things onto how can we start to work together to make things better. So, uh, and I don't know what, what's been going on behind scenes, sort of government, behind the scenes, government to government, but I am hopeful that sensible conversations have taken place because I suppose from my point of view as a parliamentarian, I am always relentlessly focused on outcomes it's our job, all of us, regardless of whether you're in government or regardless of whether you're in opposition, to, to use the voice that you have, to use a privileged position you have to try and make things better for people. Mm. So I hope it marks the start of shifts another way and hopes, I hope that, you know, for the Tories in particular, that they can start to take a slightly different line and we can then start to evaluate because there will be a pilot, what will be some of the, you know, anticipate some of the key outcomes and of course there'll be surprises, that's exactly uh, what we want, that's why we're running a pilot. But in the main, I feel positive and thank goodness we can take a step forward. Mm. It's interesting, actually, Michelle, because, uh, you know, we mentioned the award last week, we mentioned your speech, but even in that, in these answers that you're giving now, there's a common theme from what you say, which is collegiate and working together and working with one another. Um, what is your experience of that in the Scottish Parliament since you were elected? And has that changed over the last couple of years, that willingness to work together? I mean, I suppose everyone... Everyone sets out their own stance. I, both when I was in Westminster and indeed Holyrood, regard it as vital that as a minimum you build up good, respectful relationships with people, regardless of the political party. Anyone who's involved in politics knows that sometimes 
you have to vote holding your nose, even with your own political party. And, you know, and to, to acknowledge that and concede it's the same challenge for all of us. And therefore, to build up the good relationships with people where you respect them and simply acknowledge that they have a different opinion to you, but from a basis of respect, it's only that basis of respect that you can start to influence and change your opinion. So as an individual, I believe that's a vital approach to adopt. And in reality, it may make for good kind of TV, it may make for good punditry, it may make for good kind of FNQs where you've got the biff baff boff going on. But in reality, if you're in the business of change, you have to develop good relationships. You have to find areas of common cause. And I appreciate it's harder, you know, certain scenarios where you've got utterly polarised positions, but you still need to carry on doing it. The fact that it's difficult isn't a good enough excuse not to try, in my opinion. You know, I th- so I, this is very interesting and quite pertinent, actually. Um, on, on the drugs thing, if it was just about drugs and drug policy, then the outcomes or the um, the views of the parties might be slightly different. But, of course, the problem is that elements of this are about devolution. They're about the constitutional settlement. And when you inject an element of the constitutional settlement into any policy, unfortunately, I don't think you can rely on any of the parties to act entirely as they would normally act because they have one eye on the impact on devolution in the constitution. I've got absolutely no doubt whatsoever that individually there'll be a lot of Tories who are interested in this and who think that it might be worth trying. But the problem is you are in effect injecting uh, a discussion about whether there should be an additional piece of devolution to the Scottish Parliament into the debate. And that doesn't work for them. Um, And it changes therefore the way that they think about this and react to it. I mean, this is something Uh, that we know is not uniquely affecting Scotland, but is worse in Scotland than elsewhere. That's a fact. We know that's a a factual situation. Um, It's a perfectly reasonable position to take that we should try to improve it. The most important thing about it, though, is that it is outcomes-based and that we don't say, we've done drug consumption rooms now, that's what we wanted to do, therefore that issue's done and we can move on. Mm. It's about the outcome. It's about what actually works and what doesn't. And just when Michelle was talking to me, I was reflecting a little bit on uh, David McCletchie, who Michelle may not have known, actually, because maybe they maybe didn't cross over much. Uh, uh, I, obviously, I, I knew him from just, he actually used to live quite near me when I lived in oh, Edinburgh. Yeah, okay. So I knew him from yeah. that because he was a well-kent figure, even aside the yes. politics. Absolutely. And, and Jeff would have known him um, uh, back in the day as well. He actually got a mention in Hamza Yusuf's programme for government last week, which was nice to see because it's almost exactly 10 years uh, since David died. Um, and I worked for David for a long time. He was a really important, my first boss and a real mentor, a really important person for me. David was a very passionate unionist uh, and a committed conservative and quite ferocious at times with it. But he was collegiate. Um, he opposed devolution, but when he got there and was working in it, he was very protective of devolution and protective of the parliament and protective of the place in general. And I'll tell you, when we talk about the collegiate nature of the parliament and how that has changed over the last four or five years, he would strongly disapprove of the way that internal relationships have taken shape inside that building over the last few years. And he was somebody who would have a conversation with his 
opponents in the corridors. He would have a coffee and a beer with them. He would have a game of golf with them. He got on well with his opponents like John Swinney and Jack McConnell. He, you know, he was a, a very collegiate person. He was somebody who showed that you could be a clear opponent but also be a collegiate person at the same time. The Parliament has lost that, I think, over the last few years, both within parties and between parties. Um, and I think he's a really example. And I only mention it because he got mm. mentioned last week and because it's 10 years, but I think he's a real example of somebody who shows that you can combine being a very, very strong opponent but also be collegiate at the same time. I suppose if I can uh, interject there, though, um, what I see, um, particularly with the the Scottish Tories, obviously Labour are in a different place and very much positioning, uh, which is what I see, but with the Scottish Tories, it will take bravery and leadership from people within that group because I know fine well that some of the policies that for some reason they feel they need to applaud um, they're deeply uncomfortable with policies emanating from Westminster and whereas the debate before many years ago might have been that right let, let's talk about this I have this view you have that view yeah you know the Tories that we believe Scotland's future is best served within a, a union now it almost seems to me like no matter the policy and how damaging it is to Scotland Within the Scottish Tories, there feels as though an obligation that they've got to celebrate that policy. And can I also add, and I can see Jeff wants to come in here. <laughs> when I was in Westminster, because I always kind of built uh, cross-party relationships, some of the MPs, the Conservative MPs in Westminster, would actually say to me, we're staggered at what Scottish MSPs are saying. Well, that's fine. Just carry on. Because they were saying, well, we wouldn't do that if the boot was in the other foot. And I do think that it will take bravery and leadership, of which I see some um, will, will come out with this sort of language and concede that I am deeply uncomfortable with this, but, but there needs to be more. And incidentally, by saying that, I'm not saying that the SNP have got everything right either. I'm merely noting that within some of the groups, people need to come forward and say, look, it's about outcome. So your point there, it's about outcome, how we get to that, the constitutional stuff. Yeah, let's have that discussion. But we also need to focus on outcome. And maybe some of that outcome focused activity has been lost in the past few years. Yeah, I was going to just come in there, um, Michelle, as you as you saw, rightly saw me trying to flag up, because I do want to ask you about the SNP in that regard, because I don't think that they can get, get off with a clean slate. <laughs> but um, uh, I, I just wanted to just touch very briefly on the drugs situation and i think as you rightly pointed out uh, michelle it's, it's it is a scourge and we are still having more drug deaths uh, in in europe than anywhere else actually even with the, the recent reduction um and that says to me if you were ever to make an argument for taking the, the the party politics out of something this is it this is the issue to do so um i don't know about consumption areas it's not an area of expertise that i can offer much uh, analysis on except to say that what we've been doing to date clearly isn't working um, and we need to intervene to try and make something work and so I do hope and I think that the Secretary of State's uh, comments today suggest that there may be some form of collegiate working and I'd quite like the folk just to get down and try and deliver these things mm. accepting within the there is some constraints within within devolution but the principle is there let's see if it works and if it works bloody hell, let's expand it and expand it at pace because, you know, the, these are Scots that are dying. 
Um, but you mentioned, Michelle, getting into the politics of interrelationships. And it struck me when you said it about between MSPs and MPs within the Tories. But what about the SNP? I mean, you supported Kate Forbes in a leadership contest where we saw uh, many uh, interventions from her fellow parliamentarians, both at Westminster and at Holyrood, which were pretty punchy, uh, pretty rude at times and malicious. So how do you react to that experience, given that you were at Kate Forbes' side throughout the leadership campaign? I take exactly the same view as I would of any other political party. Uh, people, we've, we've got a leadership position, regardless of whether you're a backbencher or you're in the front bench, because as we all know, in politics, things can change in the blink of an eye. We've got a leadership position and how we behave sets out the leadership of how everybody else should behave. So uh, to the best of my knowledge, uh, if I say something which is less than courteous to a fellow MSP, it will be well considered. And genuinely, I really try not to because it's not helpful. So I absolutely extend this sentiment to all political parties. You have to engage with people. And when you're delivering change, you deliver through people not two people, and it's a fundamental uh, difference. So how we all address each other, I just think it's so important. And I love the kind of spikiness, for example, of some of the former lawyers who absolutely get in and about the argument, rip it to shreds with a smile on their face. And that's the business of competition we're in. So I, I absolutely would say that to any MSP, regardless whether in the SNP or any other political party, for goodness sake, you have to accept fundamentally that, I mean, I am an absolute dyed-in-the-wool nationalist. We know that. I, die, I joined the SNP when I was 16, and there's a multitude of reasons for that. But I have to accept that people have a different view. By accepting that different view, listening to that different view, I can start to engage, and from that we can start to build. And that, to me, is a fundamental about how I go about doing my politics. And I think yeah. I, mean, I would encourage everyone to take the same attitude. I mean, I, I genuinely didn't have any skin in the game uh, when the leadership contest was announced. And Kate got off to that unfortunate start let's let's say that and i think she's accepted that herself in terms of how she articulated her personal beliefs um and i won't name names here because i've got a great respect for a lot of the people uh, involved but i was so pissed off at the manner in which she was spoken about by fellow parliamentarians and some of those who were in government with her saying that they didn't think that they could work with her in government even though they'd just been doing it for the last three years her political her personal beliefs didn't change overnight and then I actually, uh, on Times Radio, was asked this question by John Pienaar, and I, and I, I said I just, I just didn't understand this, and it really didn't sit well with me. Um, and I do wonder what that means for the SNP going forward, because we've now got a situation with Fergus Ewing. Uh, now, I agree, Fergus has said some things that might be worthy uh, in a normal political cycle of, of, of being reprimanded, and I think he even understands that, but the idea of not having a Ewing, uh, a Fergus Ewing in the party, given that I grew up, uh, un, you know, knowing that the, the the Ewing dynasty was so important to the SNP, is something pretty unbelievable to me. So, what's your views on the the, the Fergus situation, uh, uh, Michelle? I mean, wh wh how do you see this uh, 
being taken forward? How do you think the thing's going to end up? Is Fergus Ewing going to be in the SNP this time next month? Well, of course, I don't know. Um, but here's my take on it. Um, I personally am hugely aware uh, of the impact and therefore the commitment that both Fergus and Annabelle and Terry have made throughout their life. And I think few people uh, appreciate that from their earliest years, uh, their childhood was utterly defined by winning winning at, at Hamilton. And the years and years and years of hard work and commitment they've given, I absolutely uh, celebrate. Now, we know Fergus has had some quite significant differences uh, at a policy level with the SNP, but part of the thing that I think has been an issue is a lack of good engagement and talking about things. And I would say, uh, in uh, Hamza Yusuf's defence and acknowledging that with the current leadership, I can absolutely say that I have a much greater sense of people being able to come out and say, look, this feels wrong, this feels difficult. And I can honestly say that I didn't think that was the case before, that people were reluctant to come forward and express different views. Uh, and where they did so, they felt as though they were uh, discouraged and fundamentally that it might be a kind of career-terminating move for them to do that. So to me, I think and I hope that there's some sensible dialogue going on behind the, the scenes because... The problem is that Fergus is a strong character, he's highly experienced, and if he did find himself out with the SNP group, how would that advance the cause uh, of the SNP group? How would that advance the cause of the new leadership? And that I, I'm uncertain about. So I suppose all I can say is I don't know what's going to happen, and I don't know what's in front of me, but I really, really hope that the sensible conversations I've seen having started thus far are continued, and that must include sensible conversations about policy issues instead of them playing out in the public eye, to the delight, of course, of the Tories and the, the opposition, but they go on behind the scenes and there's a safe place and also a listening space. I mean, Ferris has got huge experience, um, you know, and, and uh, you might not like, or some people might not like what he's got to say, but from a position of respect, you have to listen. Yeah, I mean, I'll be honest, I think that... Um... I think the SNP is uh, behaving at the moment like the party that it was a few years ago. Uh, and what I mean by that is that it's behaving like it still has the massive grip of power over everything, its own people and other people, that it did a few years ago and it doesn't anymore. I mean, what Fergus Ewing has done over the last few months is relatively normal for a lot of backbenchers at Westminster. Has been for, I mean, you know, if, if Labour and the Tories had denied all rebel backbenchers at Westminster the whip over the last 20 or 30 years, we'd be having elections every couple of years. I mean, you know, that, that has, that's not how it works in most political parties. Um, and I just wonder if the SNP has not really quite adjusted to what is a, a position of reduced power that it has right now. And, and sometimes I'm not sure if it quite understands the effects of some of the internal decisions it makes. I mean, I, I compare this a little bit to when we had the contest in the Tory party between Murdo Fraser and Ruth Davidson mm. in 2011. That was, a, and I, as you know, was uh, involved in the in the Murdo proposal. Uh, and let's not forget, that wasn't really a contest to lead the Conservative Party. 
that was a contest where one person wanted to leave the Conservative Party and another person wanted to scrap the Conservative Party and start a new one. So a much more existential contest than mm. the one that Fergus Ewing uh, and Kate Forbes had. Obviously, you know, the prize was slightly less than being First Minister of Scotland, but that's, that's by the by for these purposes. Um, and even then, even in that contest, even though almost all the MSP supported Murdo and not Ruth, that party was able to put those differences aside um, really as soon as the contest was done. And Murdo and all of his supporters came in behind Ruth mm. and supported her. And there was acrimony, absolutely. There were problems backstage, absolutely. But ultimately, they actually managed to make it work. How quickly, The Andrew? SNP How should have managed... How quickly did that happen? Well, it, 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 within, within a similar time frame to what we've had since okay. the SNP yeah. leadership contest. You know, it is not beyond the SNP to have managed to heal this rift, um, and you know, and they haven't. They haven't done it. Is the truth? And I'm in and around that building quite a lot. Uh, Jeff talked about the nastiness uh, at the time. I'm not convinced it's gone away. I actually am not convinced it's even moving in the right direction. There's a real sense of them and us about uh, some of what goes on in that building, and ultimately, it is not good for the long-term health of the SNP to be playing these arguments out over and over again. It doesn't mm. need to. It could solve this problem much more easily. Mm. How upset would you be, Michelle, if Fergus Ewing was to be suspended from the SNP? I think it would be unwise and unnecessary in ideal circumstances. Uh, as I say, dialogue's absolutely everything because, I mean, Andy, where I would pick you up, uh, I don't perceive, you know, me going about my business, that there's still a split. What I perceive is that the situation that existed formerly, where there wasn't the same freedom to discuss, uh, is changing. And it's that that is, is a positive thing that I'm, I'm highlighting. Mm. I mean, I, I don't sense myself, even though, you know, as you know, I was Kate's campaign manager, that I, I experienced any animosity. Uh, but then perhaps that plays to what I set out earlier about how I approach things. I merely disagree with some people. But I think the actual shift in culture, of which I agree with you, it's normal in political parties that you get people with different views and that they feel strongly about it. That's actually quite normal. And maybe it talks to the relative immaturity of the Scottish Parliament, where incidentally, I think that the SNP are not immune to this idea that it must be seen as having a collegiate front at all times. I mean, there was some difficulty around the the GRR bill with some of the people and the, the Labour Party and accommodation was made where there was a different sort of views and whether it's true or not, you know, some people claim in the Tories that equally well they were managed out because they had a difference in views. So maybe it talks to the relative maturity or immaturity of the Scottish Parliament. This is Holyrood Sources. Lots more to come with Michelle Thompson after this. 
That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. plushcare.com slash weightloss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hollywood Sources is proud to be brought to you by the Scotch Whiskey Association's Made to Be Measured campaign. Did you know that the recommended weekly limit of 14 units of alcohol equates to five pints of beer at average strength, or one and a half bottles of wine, or 14 single measures of spirits? If you didn't know that, well, you're not alone, actually. The majority of people who choose to drink alcohol do not know how many units are contained in the most common drinks. Informed consumers, though, make more responsible choices, and so the Made to be Measured campaign is supporting people across Scotland to understand more about the units in their glass. Made in Scotland and enjoyed around the world, Scotch whisky should always be enjoyed responsibly. Find out more by visiting scotch-whisky.org.uk forward slash made to be measured. How impactful do you think Hums has been since he's taken over as First Minister? Do you think he still needs more time to set out his agenda? Do you think the programme for government helped that? And the reason I ask is, you know, if, if, if public polling is to be believed, and, and that's only a snapshot of a subsample of our electorate at any given time, but it doesn't seem to be shifting anyway markedly in his favour or in the SNP's favour and that the gap between the SNP and Labour is narrowing. Mm-hmm. And I just wanted to know what you view as, as, as what, what needs to be the focus of the parliamentary group within Holyrood in terms of their approach to the First Minister's agenda as you see it. And does a by-election defeat, the one that Andy says doesn't matter, mark a step change, a departure or... Do you keep continue as is until the general election thereafter? I mean, you've you've actually you've asked a lot of questions there, so I'll try and cover it off in my answer and, and come back to me if you think I've missed anything off. But I think you know the first minister himself has conceded he inherited a situation that was was very difficult, and I think everyone acknowledges that with honesty. He also, arguably more importantly, inherited a policy agenda, and I have no idea if at that point he had reservations about someone or if he did not. However, I think it's been very important, and I would say continues to be important, that he is very clear about what specifically are his policy priorities. Now, obviously, we had some indication of that around the programme for government. He made it very clear about poverty. He also made it very clear about growth. But if you Google, for example, if you search on the programme for government and look for the word business out of the multitude of pages there, there's four mentions of the word business, and that talks about resetting the relationship. What it doesn't talk about is specific policies 
uh, towards business. And, and I had thought maybe in the programme for government, some development would have been for that. So I suppose my honest view is that whatever he's doing, he needs to do it quicker. And perhaps if it had been me uh, and I looked at some of the policies and thought, right, I've got, I'm feeling quite uncomfortable with these, I would have said, well, I'm going to stop them and take the hit. And you see that arguably with Anna Sarwar and the Labour Party, who I think everyone would concede has changed his position in a multitude of things, which obviously we've loved to have a go at. But he said, I said that before, don't believe it now, we're doing this. And he's changed it there and then. And I think Hamza Yusuf should, should have done exactly the same. You know, it's his territory. He needs to own that territory and crack on because... And actually, arguably, the need for him to doing that be doing that much quicker is exactly to differentiate himself from what came before. And I had an interesting discussion in a meeting with somebody the other day, um, somebody I've known for a long time and met up again through the course of my work. And what they said was, it must be feeling very odd for me because it was feeling very odd for them because they thought that the, the world was uh, Nicholas Sturgeon as First Minister in common with everybody else, he greatly applauded what she had done during the COVID pandemic. And then he said, and then suddenly she resigned. And then it was something different. And there was obviously an emotional disconnect. And it's that emotional disconnect. And therefore, it's that emotional connect that I think that Hamza Yusuf needs to focus on, as well as the policy side. And again, has he managed to do enough of that yet? Probably not, if I'm completely honest. You know, you mentioned Anna Sarwar, and it's. It, I think this is. I think what is happening within Labour is really pretty fascinating, actually. Um, a lot of it is uh, facilitated by Keir Starmer um, and the shift that he has made in Westminster. Which, and let's remember, it wasn't that long ago that Labour pulled eight percent in a national election in Scotland, the European election in twenty nineteen, and not that much more than that in the general election thereafter. So the turnaround in Labour. Um, from the Corbyn era to the Sarmar era has been quite something. But um, Anas Sarwar is a, a very intelligent guy. And I think he has spent quite a long time surveying things, taking advice, taking soundings, and trying to work out what his position is. Who, what, what is he? You know, where is Labour going to be? And um, just ahead of the programme for government last week, um, I mean, he parked his tanks on the lawn of the centre economic ground, um, parked his tanks on the lawn of aspirational people who, let's face it, have all been voting SNP for a long, long time. Um, he actually said in one of his tweets, uh, the only way to, oh, I'm paraphrasing slightly, so don't write in and ask his people, um, <laughs> the, the only way to alleviate poverty is through growth. You can't alleviate poverty through higher taxes. Now, for the leader of the Labour Party to say that, that's not an accident. That is a strategic decision to take that position. Um, now, there may have been some people in the SNP who looked at that and said, ah, you know, red Tories, two sides of the same coin. That is a disaster for the SNP. Uh, and if they don't recognise that's a disaster, if they want to be flippant and say, oh, no, it's just red Tories, which, by the way, what you're doing is telling people who've left you who you want back that they're Tory bastards, which I don't think is a very good strategy anyway, to be honest with you. But if, if they think that that is how to win an election, then it is an SNP which 
I don't recognise because the SNP I recognise as an SNP which is very much on the centre ground, very much on the side of people who want to do well, who have aspiration. They're not. It's not an envious political party, um, and it is not a political party ultimately which is going to win if it continues to take the direction of travel that it looks as though it is taking. The centre, centre ground is where it's at. I mean, I'm sure Jeff can articulate much better than I can how much work was done to to position and to get the associated narrative to claim that space from the Labour Party to reach the position of dominance that the SNP has. And regardless of where you come to this argument, people are interested in growth because they're interested in their own life, their own livelihood, their own family, uh, they're interested in their, their housing uh, and so on. And that has not changed. These are the fundamentals. Now, previously, I saw an example where get those fundamentals right, build confidence through competence, which is a term I've often used, and use that to say, look, we can move forward this, because that then leads you into the argument about why on earth, in my terminology, would you want to uh, move forward and be a normal country like everyone else where there's some reluctance? So to me, it's utterly fundamental. And I absolutely think that the SNP should stay in the, the centre ground because what I saw before with the SNP, which assured its dominance for so long, was that it was deft in its footwork in that it was able to appeal to the majority of people who are going through their lives and trying to make better lives. And it was working very hard behind the scenes with various different groupings. Business, for example, to say, we value, you are important. And if you start to go too much down one side, and who the heck would want to vacate the central ground? Not me, that's for sure. That's where it's at. And I agree, I think, some of uh, Sarwar's positioning you know, and it wasn't just what he was coming out and saying, it's the business groups that he set up. And I don't think it will be a big reveal for a newspaper that I absolutely set my stall out about the importance of growing the economy, of creating wealth, and I mean wealth in all its facets for people in our society. It's fundamental. And it, guess what? Whisper it, gets your votes. It's the right thing to do, regardless. With all of that in mind, are you living in fear of the Rother Glen and Hamilton West by-election in a few weeks' time? No. I, I mean, I'm inclined to agree with uh, Andy, who spoke last week, and I, I think I sort of summed it up as by-election, schmy-election. Uh, you know, it's a point in time, and I'm, I'm kind of, uh, you know, you have to see it in the longer uh, term. Uh, I'm more interested in what happens in the general election. And of course, I'm also more interested in what's happening in the Scottish elections. There's a lot of work going on uh, just now, and we'll see what happens in in Rutherglen. But I do I see it as a point in time rather than a critical indicator. Um, yeah. There well, we go. Finally, somebody talks sense. McKeever's giving you a way out there. He's writing your lines for you. This is ridiculous. <laughs> He's going to steal yeah. my line by election. Yeah. My election. <laughs> and I'm going to I'm going to disagree with you both. Um, uh, uh, just for good measure. 
I, 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 what, a couple of things here, Michelle. What's really revealing here is actually, I think Andy reads my treats, uh, tweets and then claims them as his own position because on the 2nd of... I, even, I don't think I even follow you. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> on the 2nd of September, on the 2nd of September, I wrote, from 2004, when the party set out to dislodge Labour, the SNP leadership coalesced around a clear ambition to be the party of aspirational voters and small businesses across all sector, sectors. They have largely owned that territory ever since. So that rather agrees with your, your your point you made earlier on, Michelle. But the reason I was I was asking about the uh, the feeling, the mood music, uh, in terms of your impression of where we are just now after Hamza's been in for a period of months, is he's not going to have uh, the same luxury that Anna Sarwar does or Keir Starmer does as you do if you're in opposition, and that is time. He hasn't got time. So he's come in absolutely um, hospital pass in terms of the, the nature of the police investigations that's ongoing, the policy uh, platform, as we saw at the time, and he's tried to deal with that. But voters don't care about that. They care about real outcomes, going back to your initial point on this podcast. And suppose the reason I think that the by-election is so important, and I do tend to agree on the whole, these things don't necessarily um, have such a meaningful impact. But in this occasion, the momentum shift, if it's confirmed in that the ballot box in Rutherglen will reduce the time available to Hamza even more. And so you've already indicated, yep, I think there needed to be much more focus in, in business in the programme for government. But do you think if the, the polls are correct and if the mood music's right and he the SNP lose Rutherglen by a, a fairly large margin, will that act as a point of departure? Uh, and will that give Hamza a little bit more impetus to turn around his party and say, do you know what, guys? We've tried it this way. It ain't working. We're going to try it another way. Um, because his future political career is staked on that general election thereafter. You see my point? It's mm. we, can, we, can, we can mosey on in, in a state of malaise into that general election, or we can use the by-election, never waste a good crisis, and use it as a point of departure. And, and I just... I just wanted your sense of you think that's possible or what's going to happen. And let me just finish this question um, and our observation uh, as well by saying I really have been impressed with Hamza in our dealings with him privately. And, and, and I was at an event with him last week where he, he spoke really well at a dinner. I don't see that manifesting itself in public yet. So it's not just a policy change of direction. I think there's a personal change of direction, introducing himself to the people who I just don't think we've seen yet. So I know that's a lot of questions. I apologise. But that point about by-election, acting as a point of departure and what we expect to see there on after, what do you think about that? I agree. Um, if the by-election doesn't go our way, it has to be a trigger for accelerated change because I do also have some sympathy around momentum. Now, I think, obviously, the general election and the Scottish elections are different and they're fought in different territory. But I think the point you're making is that once momentum is gained, it starts to flow through. So if it turns out like that, then I think it has to be seen as a trigger. 
I also would agree with you that, I mean, it, it must be a pretty de- big deal, and I can probably reflect on it since there's no chance of me ever being um, First Minister, that uh, the circumstances that Hamza Yusuf found himself in the sudden resignation of the former First Minister, the circumstances of uh, him winning and all the stuff around that, in reality, uh, he's got to really, really step blinking into the public stage. Because you're right, he's sociable, he's gregarious, he's easy to like, uh, he's funny, uh, all of those things. And people see that and they feel that from him in personal interactions. But at a mass level, he really needs to put on the suit. It's like he's tried it on so far and says... Oh, I quite like the suit, but I don't know. I'll hang it back in the wardrobe. And he's put on the normal one that he wears every day, the grey one. He needs to get out that suit, put it on and keep it on because it will get to the point that if he doesn't, then things could start to slide. So I would say that, and actually it's a standard classic change. Most of my life I've spent out with politics of people moving into new roles and getting used to the idea, the bigger feet um, if you like, but I agree he's got to do that because otherwise I mean, if he doesn't do it he'll always regret it and incidentally if he does do it, things still might not work out very well, but to have not tried would be a, a disaster, so uh, I think probably, and on that point, I think we need to see much more of him and of his team, I mean uh, Nicola Sturgeon's team were unbelievable at getting her on absolutely everything. And of course, I'll always comment to yourself, Jeff, that uh, Alex Salmon's people were unbelievable at getting him on everything. And he made it a priority, as did Nicola Sturgeon. But, but Hamza Yusuf, his job, he's the front man. He's the leader. People buy into him. And that point I made earlier about the emotional connection, people need to develop an emotional connection as well as confidence in what he's doing. And that's a key facet of any leadership role. Just one quick aside before I open up to other guys. Just you mentioned Alex Sander. When you said that, I remembered that I think it was my second day working in the Peterhead Banff and Buchan constituency office. And uh, I was just as a, an intern and, uh, and, and Alex said to me, he goes, the one thing you need to know about me, son, is if you get me on the telly, I'm happy. And, uh, and he, actually, he actually really just had a thirst for just having his face and his, and his, and his words out there, um, which probably isn't a surprise to many people. But maybe what is a surprise was he didn't really care. He, he was like, Jeremy Paxman, not a problem. Now, most politicians are like, oh, I'm not going to Paxman tonight. He's like, you know, bugger it. Put me in front of him. Give me the exposure. I'll, I'll, I'll match him, you know. And Andrew Neil, he loved it. You know, he loved that exposure. And uh, uh, perhaps there is an element of that that perhaps, you know, get the shackles off, Hamza, crack on and just give it everything you've got. Because as you say, you only get one shot at it and you don't want to have regrets. Definitely not. We're all too young that <laughs> yeah. do you know actually i'm just thinking as we talk about uh you know the situation with the snp the upcoming by-election looking ahead to future elections and my mind's gone back to fergus ewing and a question for you actually jeff if i may and i'm going to build this from what tom gordon's written in the herald just in the last well 24 hours at the time of recording if mr ewing is suspended he won't turn meek more likely he becomes a rebel thorn in mr yusuf's side transmitting the discontent of SNP voters and members about the government's record and its junior partners. Yet if he's let off, Mr Yusuf will look weak and an emboldened Mr Ewing may carry on regardless. The First Minister's in a hell of a bind. Do you agree with that, Jeff? 
I do. It's very well written. I actually just read it before coming on this podcast, just by by coincidence. And he, and and Tom's right. Um, he is in a hell of a bind. Um, and so you've got to be in in situations like this. I think you have to be pretty innovative in how you move forward. So I, I don't know, and I don't. I suspect none of us on this call know who you know the interactions that have happened between Hamza and Fergus directly but I would suggest if if there haven't been those discussions yet that they should happen pretty soon and sit down and say okay Fergus you you know you've you've had your moment on a number of different policies I get it that's your view fair enough but we want to keep you in the tent to a certain degree so what do we do how do we move forward and you know is there a way in which they can both lose a little bit of face but equally continue to have Fergus in the SNP uh, 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 beyond perhaps an initial suspension or perhaps without having to be suspended, I don't know. But there needs to be that coming together tactically uh, because, because as Tom points out, you're in a, you know, a no-win position otherwise. So there has to be you know, a grown-up conversation between the two of them and to see if some sort of resolution can be found. Can I, can I just be the, I'm going to be a cynic a little bit here. I, I think it's because I'm hungry. I'm needing a bit of lunch, so I'm just going to let this one go. Um, there are some circles that can't be squared, and I think this is one of them. You can't play both sides all the time without eventually being caught. You just can't do it. And ultimately, um, what Fergus has got himself in hot water for are matters that are not going to go away. There is going to continue to be hot water available all the time. There's going to continue to be discussions about the A9. There's going to be continue to be discussions about gender recognition. There's going to continue to be discussions about a whole host of things that there are certain parts of the SNP who, uh, that, that don't like. These aren't going away. And ultimately, and we've talked about this plenty of times before, but when there is the coalition agreement in place with the Greens and when there is a, whatever you want to call it, traditional, centrist, whatever, wing of the SNP who have problems with that, that is a circle which can't be squared. You have to choose. And I think these problems will continue and continue and continue until Hamza Youssef chooses between these two groups. I, I think... <laughs> I think that's a bit unfair, Andy. I mean, you, you mentioned it yourself earlier on at Westminster. You have backbenchers that are outspoken on a whole range of different issues, and we might treat yeah, them in differently. Yeah, in your own party. In your own party. He's in trouble because he voted against a minister who's not even an SNP in the SNP. Sure, but you, the issues you mentioned, you know, other SNP MSPs took that view and were not suspended. So what we're trying to say is that accommodation can be found. I don't think it. it, it, it it's out with the realms of possibility that an accommodation can be found here, which might have to have, you know, will have to have, sorry, Hamza giving a little, will have to have Fergus giving a little. But I tell you, the alternative of having him outside the party is Tom Gordon Wright points out, he says, now then we'll really see the shackles come off, Mr. Ewing. I don't know if we're all ready for, prepared for that. We'll have to eat a Rebix every morning before he takes to the... uh, uh, the lectern. So I, 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 I think that's where the leadership comes in, and those around Hamza, they've got to play this one really, really carefully. And also, it's going to have to have Fergus come to the table and say, "Okay, I recognise that as well." Can it happen? You might be right, Andy. It might be beyond possible at this stage. But for me personally, and as a supporter of the party, I hope it does. 
Michelle, what do you think? Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I got, I got cleaned out there. I thought, I wonder how long I can just keep silent until somebody scares me. You can't sit quietly. She thought, on this she thought she'd been disconnected. Unfortunately, not. <laughs> I know. I don't get away with much. Uh, yeah. So, uh, I mean, what you're describing, Jeff, is the essence of good negotiation. That both sides are going to have to be relo- willing, rather, partners to have a discussion and both recognise that they're giving something up. And I'm sure it could be managed, particularly if they understood each other's position, were supportive of each other. Because let's face it, if he came out and they're locking arms and said, look, we've had a good discussion. Yeah, there's been some <laughs> things that we've disagreed with. We continue to, but I fully support Hamza Hamza. I fully support and recognise the commitment uh, that Fergus Ewing has given to the party. I think that is possible. However, Andy, I think you make a fair point about, and it brings us back to the kind of weekly discussion, which is the the Butte House agreement, and underpinning that, and can that be solved where you have some people who believe themselves to be strongly centrist, interested in growth, interested in wealth, and I mean the point about a wealthy, healthy society, the much wider uh, aspect uh, of that. I think that will continue to be discussed. I take quite a political view on it. For me, it's about strategy. It's about owning the centre ground, having struggled to get it, to keep it, and to outflank what uh, the Labour Party will do. For other people, it's become more ideological. It's become a more identity-based. And I think that's the element that the, the Greens have introduced. I can I can put on record that I take a, a similar view to what other people have discussed, that I see no problem whatsoever with having a discussion about do we choose to continue with this Butte House agreement. I see no issue with that at all. Indeed, it can only be considered healthy to have discussions. People have got a much better sense of what it is and what it is not. And it can't be a bad thing to talk about it. And in reality, I think the stall that Hamza set out in terms of talking about things, well, of course, it would extend to that as well. And the arguments that people would make about it's a totally different parliament in terms of the formerly very good working relationship between Annabel Goldie and Alex Salmond, uh, and it's different now, I absolutely agree with that. I absolutely agree that forming strategic alliances in some shape or form are useful to be able to get your your agenda through. However, where I stop short is, is that necessitated by a formal agreement publicly declared until the end of the parliamentary term? And I think it's that kind of nuance of it. Maybe we should be discussing that. Yeah. So there, I gave you more than you were even asking for. (laughs) Hey, that's what we love on this podcast. Um, Just just as a quick follow-up on that, would you suggest the discussion about the Butte House Agreement should happen at the SNP conference, is that an internal SNP party matter? Should it involve members? What's what's your take on what yeah. the discussion should be, Michelle? Well, I think I think we need to be discreet and sensitive, and people need to have the chance to state their views. So I don't think the conference is uh, the best place for it. Uh, and there may be people who are very much against that idea. I'm merely saying, mm, as a matter of principle. Uh, it cannot be a bad thing, and uh, you know, to discuss. Now that people have a much better sense of the implications of the Butte House Agreement to say, is that something with which we still agree? And the form of that, whether that's a discussion, whether it's another vote, I'm not proffering up any opinion. I'm merely noting that it cannot be a bad thing. 
uh, because I think Andy's point stands. I agree that I think things can be resolved with Fergus, but the, the longer term thing about what is the nature, because where does it mean that the ground that the SNP lives on, and I care about the centre ground because it's a good strategic policy objective to have, uh, because you know you, you can snare yourself into a position, but it's also eminently sensible if we go back to the SNP's overarching objective, that of independence. We need to be able to persuade the people or the perks. We need to be able to reach them. So there was very, very sound reasons for previously adopted strategies. And I've not really moved from that position. It worked, mm. and I believe it would work again. Okay, uh, we've just got a few minutes left and it's so good to speak to you, Michelle. Thank you for being so generous with your time. Um, I want to ask you about Rory Stewart, uh, former Conservative minister, yeah. who suggested that he's often thought of running for the Scottish Parliament. Uh, you are a person who has made the move from Westminster to Holyrood. Would you, would you warn Rory Stewart off or would you welcome him in? Well, I, I thought that was really interesting. And to the best of my knowledge, um, you know, for a Tory to suggest that he wants to go the other way when some of them want to kind of flee down the road, which in my opinion is a pretty poor look, uh, to be honest. I thought that was really interesting. But Rory made some comments about recognising the Scottish Tory party in a slightly different way. And, and I mean, there's plenty of people, I'm sure we all know plenty, who were formerly members of the Tories in Westminster who just kind of, they've lost patience because they no longer rec recognise the party they used to be a member of. In fact, I met a former MP in a supermarket in St Andrews, I won't say his name, who had left the party and said, I just can't deal with it anymore. So <laughs> Rory's comment about... Um, you know, the Scottish Tory party, I think, has some merit, except what I would caution him is when I look at the Scottish Tory party, I see now just a few and only a few of what I used to consider that breed of old fashioned Scottish, Scottish Tories. I see far more who, as I indicated earlier, uh, see it as part of their job, no matter what madness is introduced by Westminster, they've got to welcome it and indeed whip it up, no, bring it on, bring it on, when they must know at some level it's not going to serve them. So I would say to him, be careful what you wish for. <laughs> <laughs> I, th I think Rory would be great in the Scottish Parliament, incidentally, but he just, uh, and also he has the added benefit of being in the, the UK's second best political podcast. Oh, <laughs> Nicely done. Has, 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 he got, has, has he got a podcast? Oh, okay. yeah. I didn't know there was any competition. I thought there was just a number one, guys. No, I, I'm, I'm with you, Michelle. I didn't know either. I think uh, yeah, I, I thought it was interesting. I, I have to say, I think Michelle's made a really important point there about the, the really rather nice optic of somebody wanting to go in the other direction because it has persistently puzzled me how many uh, Tories want to move from Holyrood to Westminster. Um, and there's obviously an awful lot behind that. I think the one thing that would be important, though, is that um, I'm not sure in Westminster there is a full understanding of what the Scottish Tory party is these days. Um, because the truth is there's a split in the Scottish Tory party between Scottish Conservatives and Scottish Unionists. And at the moment, the very clear direction of travel is people who... Uh, who live and breathe the union and the constitutional debate rather than people who live and breathe uh, free market enterprise and the sort of traditional centre right. So, you know, the Tory, is, the Tory party is the party, should be the party of the centre right. At the moment, it's the party of unionism. Um, and so I suppose I would say to Rory Stewart, what bit of it 
is it that you're wanting to join? Yeah, I agree. But Andy, and I think to answer your question though, Andy, is um, thanks in no small part to your efforts, the reason that Tories moved to, to Westminster is because they think they can get into government at some point. <laughs> I don't know what you're insinuating there, Jeff. <laughs> Gosh. Right, that's, if that's I can tell gone. just a little, <laughs> no, a little anecdote, I, I, and do. again, I won't name names, but uh, a, a Tory MSP uh, talking about uh, the Scottish Parliament expressed frustration to me that uh, there were so many areas that were not to be discussed, areas that we had a common interest in, for example, macroeconomic policy. And to which my answer was, well, imagine we had a proper grown-up parliament who took responsibility for all these things. Then you wouldn't need to hoy off down the road and spend weeks at a time away from your family. Just imagine it. And I do wonder if any of them necessarily think about what is on their own homegrown turf and try to grow this institution in a positive way. There you go. A bit of politics at the end. Yeah, I love it. Absolutely love it. Michelle Thompson, thank you very much. Thanks for joining the podcast. It's great to speak to you. Great to speak to you guys as well. And keep it up. I am an absolute fan of the podcast. Oh, thank you very Thanks, much. Thanks, Michelle. That's very kind. And Andy and Jeff, as always, thank you as well. It's great to have you guys on. Make sure you send in your questions then for Andy and Jeff. Anything you'd like to ask, anything you want clarity on, uh, whatever it is, hello at hollyroodsources.com is the email address to get in touch. We drop into your podcast feed every single week. Next week, there will be some bonus episodes to mark nine years since independence. So make sure you're following for free or you can subscribe for $4.99 a month and you will not hear an advert. It's up to you which one you do. All I know is we'll talk to you next week. <laughs>